Hey, thank you for listening to the podcast of Palmetto Baptist Church. We pray that as you listen to the following message today, that it will encourage you to continue to connect, grow, and serve in your relationship with God and with others. If you have your Bible, you turn to Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 through 22. And this is going to be what we, we camp on, what we're going to look at for a little while this morning. Starting with verse 21, it says, You have heard that our ancestors were told, basically what he was saying, he said, you've heard it in the past, that you were told, you, excuse my mistype there, you must not murder. If you commit murder, you are subject to judgment, which is something that they could understand because they understood what the Ten Commandments was, what the Sixth Commandment was of, of thou shalt not murder. But I say, if you are even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, some translations say a fool. Others may say something else. But basically, I like this translation that the New Living Translation gives because this is something that we can wrap our mind around. If you call someone an idiot, you are in danger of the fires of hell. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you this morning again for just giving us the opportunity to come into your house, Father, as we continue our act of worship by the study of your word. I pray, Lord, that you will accomplish what you need to accomplish through your word, Father, because you say it will not return to you void. I pray, Father, that everything that is said today, Lord, is all about you. It's not about me. I pray, Lord, that I become less and less and you become more and more. I pray, Father, for someone within this congregation today that does not know your Son as Lord and Savior, Lord, through something that is said, I pray that you just soften their heart, Lord, open their ears. And they can realize that today could be that day of salvation for them. We ask us all in your son, Jesus Christ's name. Amen. One commentary tells the reader this. That the first of Jesus' five discourses in Matthew, which we know as Sermon on the Mount, was a discourse on kingdom living. The sermon describes the kind of righteousness he expected of his followers. And we even saw that last week with the verses that we looked at from Luke that he was saying, if you really want to be my follower, you really want to come and and, and be part of me, this is the stuff you must be willing to give up. Are you willing to give up everything for me? The righteousness surpasses the legalistic religion of the Pharisees and must be lived so as to impact the world. That's what he was trying to get us to understand. It's like, he was sitting there and telling his followers, he's like, you know, you've, had it, you, you've, you've heard that, you know, we, we, we shouldn't commit murder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I got that. Yeah, check. Don't commit murder. I'm good. And then he just throws a little bit of a curveball to him and says, okay, I'm going to take it a step further. Don't get angry with someone. Because your anger, when you allow anger to take control of you, that is something that could be almost as bad as murder. Because we all know that the tongue is one of those things that can bring blessings, as the Bible says, but it also can bring curses. We're going to look at that today. And so we get to this point here of he's trying to get us to understand that every aspect of a true believer's conduct must be characterized by a righteousness that surpasses mere appearance. We do a good job of looking good on the outside, but how are we on the inside? And how we think and how we act, is it really matching up to what we say that we are? 
And so we come to this, to this question. How can Jesus say that if you are angry with someone, that you are subject to judgment? Or better yet, let's look at it this way. What did Jesus mean when he said, what we looked at in this verse, if you are even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, you're in danger of being brought before the court. Basically, he's saying, you know, you've been brought before the court for murder. Even this, if you're calling someone an idiot. And if you curse someone, you are in danger of the fires of hell. As mentioned last Sunday by Pastor Jimmy, part of this answer to this statement has to do with something lingualists call a hyperbole. And as he mentioned last week, hyperbole is, is this, is an exaggerated or, or claim not to be taken literally. Sometimes Jesus used this in order to garner people's attention and bring home an important part. And this is what he's trying to get people to understand with this thing that has to do with anger and the things we have to do with the, pe- the things we call people. In this passage, Jesus is emphasizing how anger can cause danger in a Christian's life and how important it is to control the tongue. And so this brings us to our first point. The tongue has the power to bring life, but also has the power to bring death. You're probably thinking, well, how's that? Let's look at some scripture. And you can just write these down. The first one is Luke 6, 45. It says, a good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. What we're feeling in our heart, our mouth is going to spew out our feelings. I mean, if you can say, yeah, I've, I've been there, or I've been on the receiving end, or I've been the one that has brought good things or bad things because of how my heart has felt. Another one, you can write this down, is Proverbs eighteen twenty one says, the tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Ephesians four twenty nine says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building up others according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. James 1.19 says this, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. James is just emphasizing what he had probably heard his brother say many times. Probably maybe resorting back to what the verse we just read. Proverbs 15.4 says this, The suiting tongue is a tree of life, but a perverse tongue crushes the spirit. It can bring life and make one feel great. Or it can bring death and make someone feel terrible or feel this small or even feel worthless. The last one is, again, I want to emphasize this one from James 1.19 again. It says, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak. And slow to become angry. See, the command, do not murder, comes straight from the Ten Commandments as we look. Because he told the people that was following, said, you have heard from the ancients, or you've heard in the past, that do not commit murder. So you understand that. 
But from Jesus' contrast and clarification, we can summarize that the scribes and Pharisees limited their interpretation of murder to its most literal meaning. Mostly taking a human life. But he goes a step further. Jesus broadened their understanding of murder to include wrongful anger that might, in some cases, lead to literal murder. Not saying if we get angry, all of us in here is going to end up, it's going to lead us to murder. But we probably all have gotten to the point at some time, gotten so angry at someone that you just wanted to uh, choke them. Or really tell them how you feel. And that's what Jesus is trying to get us to understand right here. That this anger can sometimes push us over the edge. Not to the point that we're going to commit murder. But we may get to that point that we say something to someone else. Or do something that we may end up regretting later. That will come back and haunt us. He included this, harm from words that can kill a person's spirit is almost just as bad. Which leads to our second point here. Anger is only one letter away from danger. One letter, that D, from going from anger to danger. And the reason how I got this, this, this point here was I was trying to look up some stuff, to, to some commentary and other things that go along for this morning's message and I ran across a poem by someone that had the same title it it, it spoke this in the poem and it goes on to explain that our words our actions can literally as the Bible says it can bring life or it can bring death and how we approach someone and the words that come out of our mouth is it it words of that, that are of love or is it words that are coming out that pushes them away and, and it's condemning? And they look at us as like, that's, that's what being a Christian is about. That's what a Christian, what, how are you supposed to live a Christian life? I want nothing about it. It's one, one letter away from danger. This statement, as I mentioned, was taken from, from online. Now, it also went into to express some of the things that sometimes we may hear. And that's why I was asking the children in the, in the children's sermon, has, since, especially since they started back to school, have, has anyone been mean to you? Have they said things? You know, everything great? Because sometimes as you go along, especially in elementary school, that's when a lot of people, your friends, even your best friends say, oh, I hate you. I don't want you to be my friend. I don't like you. You're stupid. And then it progresses as we get older into high school or our adult lives. I wish I wasn't your parents. I wish you weren't my parents. I wanted to force. I wish you were dead. It's these things that sometimes come out, these, these statements that we hear that sometimes we don't realize that where the root of it comes from. And it just talks about what Jesus was speaking here. That, yeah, we as, as people, we understand, yeah, we're not supposed to murder. Death is bad. You kill someone, you go to jail. But we don't st- stop to take the time to realize that this anger that sometimes we have, that if it's not controlled, if it's not handled in the, in the right ways, that this anger can lead 
to danger and, and end up making more damage or as much damage as if we just literally murdered the person. If we were honest, at one moment or another, we have all spoken hurtful or hateful words. Yet typically most of us dismiss such comments by saying, you really made me angry. I lost my temper. I didn't really mean it. I was just joking. Have any of us ever been that way? Just played it off after we said something horrible? I was just joking. I was just joking. You know I didn't mean it. Because I was trying to cover up some of the harm that had been done. While it is tempting to minimize our angry words, thoughts, and attitudes, the truth is there can be danger in anger. This is a feeling since anger, as I mentioned in this point, is only one letter away from danger. See, previously in, in verse 5, I mean in chapter 5, verse 20, Jesus said that our righteousness must surpass that of the scribes and Pharisees because these were the religious leaders. They thought they had it all together. They're the ones that told everyone else how you should act or how you should do things. But he was telling them it goes past what they, the righteousness they thought they had. He, now, he stops preaching and starts meddling. That's what I like about Jesus. I mean, especially when you start looking at the tough sayings he has said. Because a lot of people didn't like it because it went against everything that they thought was the right thing to do. He starts meddling. See, seriously, Jesus could have tackled any subject here, but he begins the body of his sermon by dealing with anger, a sin that many of us struggle with. And then in 521, Jesus says, you have heard that the ancients, the Israelites, were told you should not commit murder, and whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. See, this opening phrase, you have heard, alerts us to the fact that Jesus is going to quote from the Old Testament. He quotes the sixth commandment, you should not commit murder, which we get and can see it was in Exodus twenty thirteen. He then reminds us of the penalty. You shall be liable to court. At this point, Jesus' listeners must have been thinking, yep, as I mentioned before, we got it. You're not supposed to commit murder. We've heard that one before, and we've behaved. We're not murderers. We're not guilty. We're good. We're moral. We're ethical people. So preach on, preacher what they were saying we got you yeah keep, keep going I like, I, like, I like what we're hearing you got to admit it's always more comfortable when the preacher talks about other people right you probably heard people say I'm not a bad person I mean I've never killed anyone even as Christians it is easy to be smug and think that since we haven't physically murdered anyone that this commandment doesn't apply to us but Jesus undoes this thinking. He presses the sixth command inward when he drops a preaching bomb. He's like, about to mess up your world, your, your thinking. Because in 522, Jesus declares, But I say to you that anyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. And whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing, which is some translations may have that, or you fool, or as, as I put on the screen with the New Living Translation, it says you're idiot. Because that's something I can, re- I, I can wrap my mind around because I've said that word many times to people, especially driving in the line of traffic 
or as when I lived in Alabama, for those who have traveled to Birmingham and had the pleasure of traveling on Highway 280. People cutting you off, not putting on a blinker, driving. You idiot! What are you doing? See, that's, that's a word I can read. But basically what he's saying is, you know, but whoever says to his brother, you're good for nothing, shall be guilty by, before the Supreme Court of the court of their days. And whoever says, you fool, shall be guilty enough to go, to go into the fiery hell. Jesus begins by saying, but I say to you. He is affirming everything that the old te- in the Old Testament, but he is also fulfilling it. He's quoting it, but he's also fulfilling it. That is, he is filling it up or, of meaning. What was implicit in the Old Testament law, Jesus made explicit. He's giving insight into the original purpose of God's law, a purpose that has been lost among the teachers of his day, and that's what he's trying to get them to understand. Jesus is saying, I'm going, to be, I'm going to the very heart of the law to show you how you can live out its deepest meaning. Because he even told me, he said, I didn't come to do away with the law, I came to fulfill it. And this is basically what he was trying to get them to understand, how to bring out the deepest meaning of what the law said. In doing so, he moves from the fruit of murder to the root of murder. An evil heart of attitude. Jesus insists that we are all guilty of murder because we've been angry in word, thought, attitude, and actions. We've all been guilty. I know I have because I just told you I was, especially when I'm driving. Because I look at people and the way they drive and I think, you shouldn't be driving. And I've said some nice choice words to them before. Knowing they weren't going to hear me and knowing it, done, it didn't do any good, but I still let the words fly. <clears throat> Jesus insists, as I mentioned, that we are all guilty of murder because we've been angry in word, thought, attitude, and action. In other words, refraining from homicide doesn't impress God. On the contrary, since God looks upon the heart unrighteous. Anger can render one subject to God's judgment. The term court and supreme court refers to God's heavenly court since no human court is competent of trying a case of internal anger. Jesus goes even further when he states that the offender is guilty enough to go to hell. See, that's, that's something right there that he was, you know, turning things upside down. Anger lead me to go to hell. Have you ever been angry with anyone in word, thought, or attitude? Because Jesus says you deserve to go to hell. Fortunately, Christ's death has made salvation available to those who believe. If Jesus hadn't paid for your sin with his death, you would spend eternity in hell, not just for murder, but even for speaking insults. See, that's what this thing we have to realize. Because Jesus was trying to understand and get them to say, you know, look, even our words, being angry with someone and speaking death upon them through our words has consequences. And these consequences are just as, as bad as if you just went and killed someone. Thus, we must nurture and esteem our relationships, which brings me to the third point. Our relationship with God is partly contingent on how we treat others. So let's break down these insults quickly. The phrase translated good for nothing is the Aramaic term raka. 
Sounds like you're getting ready to, to spit up a, 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 a loogie. You know, it's like you're building it up. I, yeah, y'all started imaging it, right? That's the only thing you can remember from this sermon is Jason talking about loogies. But this, this term, raka, is a term that is Aramaic. And in Jesus' day, this term was an insult that meant something like, you worthless son of a motherless goat. I know that sounds weird that, that that's saying there, that that's what it sounds like, but that is what it basically meant. It was an insult. The word means you brainless blockhead, you empty-headed fool, you idiot, you imbecile. I think you get the idea. You used the colorful description of Raka when you were angry and wanted to attack a person's self-worth and dignity. The same is true of you fool. The word behind fool is a Greek noun, moros, which is where we get moron. And these terms, especially in Jesus' day, moros was used to describe a person's mental abilities. However, it was also used to describe a person's moral character. If you refer to someone as a moros, you were calling that person a stupid liar, a stupid cheater, or a stupid infidel. It was an insult on someone's morals as well as their character. And although these two words seem to be synonymous, Raka seems to express contempt for a man's head, his intellect, where Moros is expressing contempt for his heart, which is his character. See, the problem of name calling was far more serious in Jesus' society than it is in ours today. There was an honor and shame society. Most people had little to trade with, their, with except their honor. And to belittle one's person's honor publicly was a serious matter. If a person was to lose his or her good reputation, it was about the same as dying. Jesus seems to, to say that when you treat persons as nothing by calling them names, you have, in effect, already murdered them because you were attacking their honor. You're attacking who they are. Character assassination is just another type of murder. It's interesting that Jesus includes the phrase with his brother, but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother, isn't it true that our anger tends to flare up most often against those we know best and love the most? Colossians 3.19 says this, Paul writes, husbands, love your wives do not be embittered against them. Although this verse is directed towards husbands, it is applicable to wives as well. We need to stop our guilt trips, fault-finding, name-calling, yelling, sarcasm, and blaming. Speaking once again to husbands. Peter says if we don't treat our spouse with love and respect, our prayers will go unhindered. Ephesians 6, 4 says this when it talks about our relationship with God is partly on, contingent on how we, we treat others. Ephesians 6, 4, Paul writes this. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. As parents, we need to make sure that we show our children God's love and compassion. And then 1 Timothy 3.8 says this, Therefore, I want the men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without wrath and assertion. The qualification for me to pray is to forsake ungodly anger. If we are angry, our fellowship with God is adversely affected, which means we lack power. And so the next time you become angry at your spouse or your children, 
or a fellow believer, think long and hard before saying something harmful to them. Don't be lured into thinking that it's no big deal if you shout at someone because it is a big deal. Which leads me to my last point. And this goes into further of what Jesus said here. Verse 23, if you have your Bible, you look at verse 23. I didn't put it on the screen because I just, if you don't have it, just, just, just sit there and, and listen to what I'm about to say. Verses 23 through 25 wraps this up with point four, which God will not accept our gift at the altar until we reconcile with our neighbor. See, anger happens, and sometimes we say things that come out from that anger or someone says something to us. But the thing is, We have to be reconciled with them. And this is the most important thing from, from, from understanding anger. Because there's been many times that I've gotten angry with someone. And sometimes it was, you know, there's a reason for becoming angry with them. But I've had to go and, and reconcile with them. I've had to eat crow, as a lot of people say. And be reconciled with them because I've realized that because God forgave me. And I'm a sinner. And so if I'm really going to be a follower of Christ and, and really live for him, that reconciliation has to happen. Verse 23. So if you are presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar. Go and be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your sacrifice to God. When you are on the way to the court, would you ever say, set your differences quickly. Otherwise, your accuser may hand you over to the judge who will hand you over to the officer and you will be thrown into prison. Verse 26. And if that happens, you surely won't be free again until you have paid the last penny. And basically what he is saying here is reconciliation has to happen. God will not accept our gift at the altar till we reconcile with our neighbor. Jesus gives two illustrations exposing the seriousness of anger. The first is is in a worship context, which is verses 23 through 24. And his second is in a legal setting, which is 25 through 26. In these verses, Jesus changes from everyone to you. Instead of saying everyone, he's singling us out. To ensure that every disciple applies what he says directly to himself or herself. In his first illustration, Jesus says reconciliation takes precedence over worship. It says, therefore, if you're presenting your offering at the altar and there, remember that you, your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar and go be reconciled to your brother and then come and present your offering. And so we have to realize, and when he's saying this, that reconciliation is important. Reconciliation is important enough to interrupt worship. Harmonious relationships with people must be in place before any true worship can take place. That's why when we come in here on Sunday mornings or any time that we gather as believers to worship God, that our heart needs to be in the right place. And I'm speaking right to myself. There's been times I've come in here and I've, you know, might have been angry with someone. And then I had to stop before I could do anything else and say, God, here I am. Forgive me. 
before I can even come and, and give you what I have to offer you. I got to go make that right. And that's when later on, in a few moments, when, I, when, I, when we have the altar call, that's why I pray and that's why the altar call, because it's, it's an act of, of commitment, it's an act of reflection, it's, a, it's an act of obedience of what he may be asking us to do. Yes, he may be asking us to come and to, to spend some time with you, but he may be, before you come and offer yourself to him, he can say, you need to go make things right. That's why reconciliation is important. The next point on here is reconciliation is, is, is urgent. The second illustration stresses the importance of making things right quickly. Jesus urges us to have a sense of urgency. When it comes to reconciling with an opponent, most likely someone outside of the church, this is why he says in 20, 25 and 26, make friends quickly with your opponent at law while you are with him on the way so that your opponent may not hand you over to the judge. This illustration assumes that you owe your accuser a debt of some kind and to collect on it, he is taking you to small claims court. But this is what he's saying. Jesus is saying, don't wait until you get to the court to work out some kind of deal. Settle out of court. Don't wait until you get to church and allow things of this nature to, to convince you of being right with your brother or sister because you may not have time to do it before you get here. He's saying it is urgent. Reconciliation is a very important thing because we're good at playing the game of being a believer and I've got everything in check. Going to church, check. Got going to Sunday school, check. Got this, check. But have we got that box checked when someone makes us angry or we've angered them? That we go to the point of saying, you know what? I was in the wrong. Or better yet, going to them and being the bigger person says, look, even though in your mind you know they're wrong, you're going to say, look, I want to I apologize. I want things to be right with you so I can be made right and be at peace with God. Because that's what Jesus was trying to get them to understand. They had the understanding that murder was wrong, but he wanted them to understand even our words, our actions, our attitudes of the way we treat others can be just as bad as killing them physically. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this day. And Lord, I, I thank you for the words that you have spoken today through your word. And I pray, Father, as we come to this, this time of commitment, this time of invitation, this time of reflection, Father God, that you will search our hearts, Father. And if there's anything that is there that is not of you, Lord, I pray that we, we come and be made right, Lord. First, first things we need to reconcile with someone else, Lord, that we don't hesitate to do that. Because before we try to bring you a, a gift, Father, it's worthless if we have something to get someone else. You say, leave it at the altar and go and make it right. And then come and present your, your gift. So, Father, I just pray, Lord, if there's someone in this congregation, Lord, that has never made that commitment, Lord, that, that decision to follow your Son as Lord and Savior, I pray, Lord, that they can realize today can be that day for them. That it's called upon you. Leave in their heart and speak with their mouth that they shall be saved, Father. Thank you for everything you're doing. We ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand.